Good morning, and wherever you are today, thank you so much for joining us to worship. The Greek word mathetes, which literally means the apprentice, the student, the learner, is often translated disciple. Today, we're going to be thinking a little bit more deeply about what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, what it means to follow him as our master. So let's worship together.
The reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks once again to Claire for reading that passage for us. In The Apprentice, the popular BBC One series hosted by Alan Sugar, contestants are encouraged to aspire towards success and power, fame and fortune. But the actor Jim Carrey, who achieved all of that, said this, I hope that everyone can get rich and famous and have everything that they've ever dreamed of, so that they'll know it's not the answer. The Greek word methetes occurs 264 times in the New Testament, and it means the apprentice, the student, the learner. More often or not, it's translated disciple. The early Christians were called disciples. In fact, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 11, we're told that the disciples are called Christians first in Antioch. The words believer, Christian or disciple are all interchangeable in the New Testament. If you're a Christian, then you're a disciple. Jesus says, follow me. To be a Christian, then, is to be an apprentice of Jesus. So what does it mean to be the apprentice of Jesus, to be a disciple? Firstly, I think it means to be with Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verse 16, we read this. Jesus appointed the twelve so that they might be with him and so that he might send them out. Being with Jesus should be the number one priority in your life. You've been created to enjoy a relationship with God through Jesus and until you find that relationship, your life will never make complete sense. There'll always be a Jesus-shaped hole in it that you're trying to fill. And just as Jesus shared his life with the disciples when he was here on earth, he wants to share his life with you today too. I'm with you always, to the end of the age. He says I'll never leave you or forsake you. So just as he was with those disciples... He's now with you, maybe not in a physical form as he was for those early disciples, but through the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you to spend time with Jesus every day. There are so many distractions in the modern world, aren't there? Work, family, friends, technology and social media. When I was growing up, I can remember having a conversation in our house about whether or not we should get a computer. Nowadays, I've got an iPad, an iPhone, even an iWatch, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. All of these things take my time, and they're a distraction. This season has so many challenges, but one potential blessing is that it's given us a slower pace of life with fewer distractions, as so many of us have to stay at home. So prioritise your time, switch off Facebook and remember that you can be with Jesus. Find a time in your day to be with Jesus, to chat with him in prayer or to listen to him through reading your Bible. 
I like to begin every day with Jesus, sitting in the armchair of my living room. But just like I enjoy a big breakfast, that isn't enough to keep me going throughout the whole day. I need lunch, I need a snack at midday, dinner and sometimes even supper before I go to bed. To be spiritually fed is just the same. I think I need a lot in the morning, but I also need to connect with Jesus throughout the day. When I get on my bike and head down the cycle path in Gosainen, I try to use that as an opportunity to pray. And when I wake up at night, I often find myself full of negative thoughts, worries and fears, and I try to resist those thoughts. I try to pray, to bring my worries to Jesus, praying for my family, for my friends, and for us as a church. The immense privilege of the disciple is to be with Jesus.
Secondly, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, then you'll want to spend time with his people. Jesus didn't call a disciple. He called disciples, and we're created for community. The church isn't an organisation that you join. It's a family where you belong. It's a home where you're loved, and a hospital where you find healing for your brokenness. In the New Testament, the disciples are put together. They're joined together, built together, and they're held together. Faith is personal, but it's not private, and we're called not just to believe, but to belong to a Christian community. Paul writes in Romans 12, In Christ, we, though we are many, are one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's why we should all be praying, we should all be serving, and we should all be giving. We want everyone to belong. We need each other. Our individual strengths and individual gifts utilised in the communal family pool. We're stronger, more effective and more dynamic when we work together. When one is weak and in need, the other can provide strength and lift up. Jesus called tax collectors and sinners to be his disciples. He doesn't call perfect people. Isn't it amazing that a perfect God can use imperfect people? So whatever your past, whatever your lifestyle... You're welcome in our church. We're an inclusive church and we want you to know that you belong with us. You're loved unconditionally and there is a place for you. Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. But you can't be loved unless you're known. And that's why I want to invite you to become more involved. Come to our online prayer meetings, our Bible studies, to our virtual coffee mornings on Zoom. If you're a complete technophobe, there's even an opportunity to join in using the telephone. There's always room for you to get connected and to share your contribution. Perhaps you've been finding that you've got more time on your hands at the moment. So what exactly are you waiting for? Now is the time. And when lockdown is over, why not commit to coming regularly to one of our services? We're seeking to offer something for everyone, a good mix of traditional and modern so that you can easily find a home here. Join a group and begin to do life with other people. There's lots of groups to choose from. Groups for men and women, for children and young people. Or perhaps join a connect group or even think about establishing one. Now what's a connect group, you might be asking? At its heart, it's a small group of people committed to meeting together, doing life together, to support and care for each other, to encourage one another to grow in the faith by reading the Bible, praying together and challenging each other to be more like Jesus. Throughout my Christian life, I've always belonged to a group like this, doing life with other Christians. At university, I belonged to a small group that would get together every Tuesday night. We'd enjoy a meal together, share the ups and downs of our lives together, read the Bible and pray for one another. We encouraged each other, we built one another up, we laughed and sometimes we cried together. We were a family. And the truth is, other members of that group have become lifelong friends. Over the last 17 years, we've been through some tough times together, 
but we've also rejoiced together. Why? Because we're part of the body of Christ together. We belong together. What you achieve, I achieve, and what I achieve, you achieve. Because we're in this together, and we belong to one another. Thirdly, to be an apprentice means to become like Jesus. An apprentice wants to be like their master, and a disciple is learning to become more like Jesus. In 1 Peter 2 verse 2 we read this, Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you might grow up in your salvation. When you become a Christian, you're like a newborn baby. I've got some experience of newborn babies because recently I had a new niece, Bonnie. She's the daughter of my sister Amy and her partner Jonathan. It's difficult to see who a baby looks like, but as they grow up you begin to see a family likeness. So if you were to look at Bonnie's elder sister Katie, you'd notice that she's the absolute image of her mum. Why? Well, that's nature and it's nurture. And it's the same with Jesus. First of all, it's nature. You're the child of God. The Holy Spirit came to live in you the very moment that you encountered and invited Jesus in. The Spirit of Jesus lives within you and he gives you that family likeness. And if you're not sure that the Holy Spirit lives in you, I want to encourage you to ask God to come into your lives, saying, Come, Holy Spirit. I invite you into my life right now. But, just as Bonnie and Katie will grow up in a family, they'll watch their parents and they'll learn from them. That's nurture. So it is with you, as you spend time with Jesus and in the community of Jesus, alongside other Christians. You'll be transformed. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image and ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. You're becoming more like Jesus, particularly as you go through the challenges of life. Hard knocks, disappointments, bereavement, loss, failure, the stuff that goes wrong in your life. These times can often feel like empty, unfruitful times. But those who choose to take these painful aspects of life to the foot of the cross and through tears trust that Jesus is in them and that he's working through them for good, they'll see that the fruits of the Spirit can blossom and unbelievably and wonderfully, they'll still become more like Jesus. 
And as I think about some of the people that I've ministered to and what they've been through, what I admire most about them is that they don't become cynical or bitter, but rather they become more like Jesus, not sweating the small stuff, but having a greater passion for the stuff that's really important in life, loving and serving others, building others up to name but a few. That's the beauty of Jesus, the likeness of Jesus, shining through you. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Thee I freely give.
Finally, to be an apprentice means to do the stuff that Jesus did. What do disciples do? Well, Jesus tells them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what disciples do. They make more disciples. They don't just sit around being disciples. They go out and they do the stuff of leading other people to Jesus. You were born to make an impact. Wherever you are, at home or in the workplace, in your hospital bed, while you're shopping or socialising. You're on the coalface, the front line of Christian ministry. C.H. Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, tells a story of a woman who worked as a cleaner. She became a Christian and she was asked what difference does following Jesus make in your life? Her answer was this, I now sweep under the mats. No longer was she simply serving a human manager. She was serving Jesus, giving her absolute best to him. Every day we can choose to serve Jesus, and when we do it out of sincere and deep love, and out of gratitude for the abundant love that he's given to us, it's the most satisfying thing ever, even when no one else knows that we're doing it. What's the most satisfying thing in your life? For me, I think it's when I'm helping other people. Your whole life is a ministry to Jesus, and it's a unique ministry to you. So don't compare yourself to everyone else. And if you can, do it with integrity. Do it wholeheartedly. And not to glorify yourself, but because your ultimate aim is to give thanks and to glorify Jesus by living out your life in service to him. The greatest way that you can help another person is to help them find a relationship with Jesus to help them become a disciple and to experience his life-changing love and his grace for themselves. That's the most satisfying thing. That's why the greatest privilege, I think, is to be called by God to do this full-time. There was an article recently in The Guardian that reported that a think tank had looked at national well-being and it had released some research into the most satisfying careers. The most well-paid were not necessarily the most satisfying, and out of the 274 jobs that they analysed, the most satisfying of all was one that earned just an average of £20,568 a year. And they were the clergy. They had the highest job satisfaction. They get to tell people about Jesus full-time. But you know what? So do you, because we belong together and we're in this together. You're invited to make disciples full-time wherever you're planted. And that's the most satisfying job of all. You may be the person who is at every service, every Bible study and every prayer meeting going, keen to really be spiritually fed. But, as John Wimber, the great Christian evangelist, once said, the real meat is on the street. He talks of somebody who has a scuba diving book that they've read from cover to cover. They've marked it up and highlighted all the important bits. But they're not scuba divers because the book is just preparation for getting into the water. You're not a scuba diver until you've put on all the gear and got into the water. 
Many people make a goal of reading the book and understanding Christianity. But that's not a worthy goal. The book is to lead you into an experience of working with Jesus himself. Wimber says this, People go to Bible studies and they say, I've had a really good meal. You didn't have a meal. You had the menu. The Bible is the menu, not the meal. You ate the menu. If you want to eat the meal, you've got to get out and become a doer of the things that you're reading. If you want the meat, it's on the street. The meat is when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, when you're caring for the sick, when you're talking to the drunk who's just thrown up over you and you choose to love them nevertheless. That's the meat. If you want the meat of the word, go out and love people. Minister to them. God never intended you to get hung up in a textbook. So the apprentice, the disciple, is to be with Jesus, to be with the family of Jesus, the church, and to become like Jesus. But all of that's preparation for getting out there and actually doing the stuff of Jesus. When you're out there doing that stuff, making disciples, it's then that you'll grow. It's then that you'll be fed. And it's then that you'll have the impact. Your life will have an impact. You might have done all the being and all the belonging. But if you're not getting out there and doing the stuff of Jesus and making disciples of others, you're like a student teacher who's done all the training but then runs for the hills before stepping in front of the classroom. All the theory prepares you for being a teacher, but the real learning happens when you start stepping out in front of the classroom itself. Recently I read the story of Michael Emmett. His father was a contemporary of the Cray brothers, and Michael himself was a career criminal, known for his careful, business-like approach to crime. In the Church Times, he talked about how he went on an Alpha course 23 years ago while he was at Exeter Prison. I'm not sure what motives I had, he said. Scoring brownie points could lead to early parole. But on that Alpha course, he experienced the Holy Spirit and he was overwhelmed with a sense that God really loved him. He experienced Jesus. For me, Alpha in prison was brilliant, he said. It helped me through and it helped me change. But then I had to face the real world. For the first six months, I really backslid, even taking drugs for a while. But my faith was real, and with lots of help, I pulled myself together. Afterwards, he went from prison to prison, leading the Alpha course, and now it's run in over half the prisons in the United Kingdom, and over 250,000 inmates have completed Alpha. Look at the impact that that one man's life has really had. Over the last 23 years, he's no doubt had his ups and his downs. It's not easy to extract yourself from a family of criminals, but he says that he's been healed, that the curse has been broken. Now he prays with his children. Think about the impact that that one man has had, not just by going into prisons to share the good news about Jesus, but on future generations of his own family. They're no longer criminals. They're disciples of Jesus. What an impact they could have. 
Over the last couple of years, I've taken an interest in my own ancestry. And on my grandmother's side, I've been able to go back as far as 1783 to Mary Gomer. Over the last 300 years or so, she's produced hundreds of descendants. Morgans, Gabes, Hanfords and Gomers. Some of them have yet to discover. They've been mill workers, labourers, engineers, cleaners, teachers, doctors and, of course, clergy. What an impact from one person. When you tell one person about Jesus, think about the impact that could happen in years to come from just one person. Your life matters. It has a purpose. Your story is important. Your dreams count. Your voice matters. And you've been born to make an impact. But think about what could happen as we journeyed with Jesus together, as we belong together, as we become like Jesus and do the Jesus stuff. Just think about what could happen. Just like when Evan Roberts gathered to pray with a handful of people in Lacher, the Holy Spirit in us could do great things today. It could change our community, bring new life to our church and transform the history of our nation forever. Amen. Can we pray together? God, thank you that you are wonderful beyond our imagining. Not some isolated and remote figure but a relationship of three in perfect harmony and in perfect unity of action. It puts to shame our failure to deal with other people, the way we so easily don't get on and choose not to engage. Forgive us. Help us to be wowed by what you are and by the way you deal with even difficult people like us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Jesus called his disciples together to relate, to grow, and so we ask that you'll help us to grow, that we may move on from just being interested to understanding and from understanding to commitment and from commitment to seeing our lives focusing on you and your love and your purpose for us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Those early disciples grouped together, and a strange group they made even then. Thank you for our congregations, for the parish and the worldwide church. We're asked today to remember the Christians of Mexico, and we think of the great need as COVID-19 centres in that part of the world now. And there are many who have very few resources to deal with that and have enough difficulty dealing with ordinary life. 
We pray for our relationships as a church and in church, that they may be good, honest, transparent and open. We ask help and wisdom for our leaders, for Adrian, our vicar, John, our bishop, and all the others, church officers, those who organise things on which we depend, and those who simply do what needs doing and we sometimes don't even notice. Be with them, Lord. Bless them and help us to remember to thank them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we look to become more like the God we worship, that wonderful God, we pray for those who are disfigured and disabled by the problems of the world, for those who are worried, for those who face disasters of one sort and another, personal or bigger, for those who are ill, those who care for them and their family and friends, and for those who feel isolated or rejected or just frightened. Sometimes it seems overwhelming, but Lord, help us to show what we can do and who we can do it for. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We remember those who carry the weight of responsibility. Our government in Westminster and Cardiff, yes, and the United Nations too, for the police, for the economists. And we're asked to remember too today those with the difficult responsibility of safeguarding and training others in safeguarding the vulnerable. And so we pray for everybody who's involved in those awful questions of what do we do next? And how can we do it? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we look forward to all that you have planned for us. Help us to share those good things, to talk about them, to welcome others who need love or help or just company as they respond to all the wonderful things that you have done and need to remember and recognise even more of them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. So as the service draws to a close for another week, I just want to encourage you to join in with all that we're doing throughout the week, either online using Zoom or if you're unsure of the technology, remember that you can also join us on the telephone. And if you have inclusive calls as part of your package, you can even stay with us for up to an hour at no cost.
Also, I want to remind you that if you need help with a prescription, with shopping, or if you just want to pick up the telephone and have a chat, then please do get in touch with me at the Vicarage. I would absolutely love to hear from you. We love you, we miss you, and we look forward to the time when we'll meet again face to face. But for now, the peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.